Well, we got to the final part of our hashtag Get Fit series this morning, and uh, we have uh, discovered through this series that we need to hashtag Get Financially Fit, hashtag Get Prayerfully Fit, hashtag Get relationally fit, and today we're going to look at something just a little different. But before we look at that, I want to share a little story with you. Back in 1954, a young little seven-year-old boy was making his way home from school one day, and he was walking home from school. As he got to his house, he opened the door, and there was all this commotion going on in his house. He started seeing people everywhere and he recognized his aunt and his uncle who lived in the next town over and they had tears in their eyes. Everybody looked sad and everybody was crying and this little boy's aunt came and hugged him and she whispered, it's going to be okay. She took him into another room in the house and in that room was his mother and his 10-year-old sister and they were crying. As he walked into this room, his mother came to him. She says, come to me. And she held him and she started to sob. And she whispered in his ear and said, your father has died. The seven-year-old boy, his father had died of a heart attack. And that seven-year-old boy had to live the rest of his childhood without his father. He he went into his teen years and then he graduated from high school. He went to college, graduated from college. And then he got married. Then he actually became a pastor of a church. And then he had three children, all without having his father by his side. That seven-year-old boy was my father. And I've asked my father many times, tell me about your dad. And every time he just doesn't want to talk about it. The scars of losing his father at such a young age have hurt him so much, he does not want to talk about his father. In fact, the only things he ever talked about his father, I've heard from other people, that his father was this great godly man who, who God had great things for. And, but the only thing my father will ever talk about his father is, back, back in those days, they used to have Sunday night church. For those of you who are church people, you remember Sunday night church. And, uh, and they used to have Sunday night church. And then after church, they used to walk home from church. And he says, all, he's, uh, he told me that whenever he used to get sleepy, his dad used to lift him up, put him on his shoulders and walk home. That's the only thing I really know about my grandfather because my dad just will not talk about it. That story scares the death out of me. And this is why. That man died at the age of 42 of a heart attack. His son was seven years old. When I become 42, my son, Evan, will be seven years old. Heart disease runs in my family. At the age of 25, I was put on high blood pressure medicine. I'm not always great at taking it. I should be. But heart disease runs in my family. And the thought of a little boy called Evan... Growing up without a father, going to school, going to high school, going to to, to, to games, whatever games, whatever he's into without a father, going to college without a father, growing up, getting married, having children without his father by his side scares the death out of me. What scares the death out of me is knowing that there could be a chance that that a a young lady who's now more middle-aged, but don't tell her that who is a wife and a mother, could live the second part of her life without a husband or a father for her child. What scares me to death is the thought of a church losing its pastor. 
What scares me to death is young men who I've mentored losing their mentor. And I'm starting to begin to understand that if my life is cut short like my grandfather's, then the purposes of God for my life will be cut off in midstream and I will never fulfill why God actually created me and put me on this earth for. The reality in all probability, back in 1954, this could have been avoided. This young boy could have probably grown up with his father if it would have been 2016, if we'd had the modern medicines and things of today. But the reality was, is this. My grandfather was a godly man. Some people say he was this incredible preacher. Many people found salvation in Jesus Christ through just his teaching and his preaching. He was a man of prayer. And if my grandfather had taken as much care with his body as he had with his soul, then that seven-year-old boy would have grown up with a father. See, the reality is, is what, what, what good is it if you're great with God, but your body cannot carry the weight of the plans that God has for your life? Well, what good is a brilliant mind if we can't actually hear and understand the purposes of God for our lives? See, becoming healthy, physically healthy, is not just all about working out. So for you guys here this morning, some of you, you hear the word working out and immediately like sweat comes down you. It's like you're feeling hot under the arms or something. You know, it's just like, oh my word, the thought of getting on a treadmill or actually like running like half a mile, you're just like, (gasps) then some of you are like, yeah, I'm all about working out. You know, it's like I go to CrossFit like four or five times a day. You know, some of you are like, I'm a salad junkie. You know, vegetables and protein and the shakes. That is me. But the reality is this, is being healthy is not all about just working out. See, it's about becoming fully fit. So for you who hate the gym, I've got good news for you this morning. It's not all about the gym. See, it's about becoming fully fit in your mind, your body, and your soul. For no matter how much you work out and you sculpt your body to to how you want it to be, if your mind and your soul is unhealthy, your body is going to be affected. If your soul is healthy but your body isn't, your soul is going to be affected. Your mind's going to be affected. And actually, the Bible talks about this. In the first book of Thessalonians, uh, this is a book that was written by a guy called the Apostle Paul who wrote to uh, uh, um, uh, some different churches in an area called Thessalonica, which is in like modern-day Turkey, Greece area. And at the end of the letter that he wrote to the churches, this is what he said. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, he said, Now... May the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we are to keep our 
mind, body, and soul blameless until Jesus comes again. Now, let me just explain that for you, for some of you who are unfamiliar with that term, Jesus coming again. Jesus came to this earth, lived, and then he died. He lived 33 years. He died. He rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and he said this, one day I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back for my followers, and I'm going to come back for my church. So Paul is saying in that in between time, which we're living in now, then you are to keep your, he said, your spirit, your soul and your body blameless before God. Actually, other translations say this. It's let God or to allow God to sanctify your spirit, soul and body. Now, some of you hear that word, you're like, whoa, that's like a really churchy word, sanctify. Let me tell you what sanctify means in its purest sense. It means to be set apart to be free. To be set apart to be free. Now, in a biblical context, in this context of our relationship with God, this is what it means to be sanctified by God, to be set apart to be free from sin. That's what it means, to be set apart, to be free from sin. See, this is the deal. God wants to take your spirit, your soul, and your body so that you can be set apart and free from sin in this world. And when you're free from sin, life becomes so much more clearer. Life is so much more easier. Life is so much better. It's more rewarding. See, did you know that our spirit, our soul, and our body When we were created originally by God, when humans were created by God, we were actually created to be eternal beings. So the reality is this, is that if everything had gone to plan, then when your mother gave birth to you, then that was it. You were here forever and a day. Whether you liked it or not, that was the deal. Our mind, body, and soul were eternal. But there was one day when there was a guy called Adam and a girl called Eve, and they went to a tree where God says, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. And they ate it. They sinned and disobeyed God. Sin came to this world, and sin started to corrupt this world. Eventually, that corruption led to death, meaning that... uh, bodies would die. Now the good news is this, is that even though your physical bodies one day will give up on you. And some of you are like, I feel like my body's giving up on me already. I feel like after a workout, my body's giving up on me. But, so, but your body will one day give up on you. The good news is this, that Jesus says that one day you're going to get a new body. And this body's going to be an eternal body. It's going to be a perfect body. But yet these physical bodies will die. And and for the apostles, they saw human nature in three ways. They saw human nature in spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. And this is what they, they believed. They believed that the spirit of somebody wasn't like, you know, like Jack Daniel's spirit. And it wasn't, you know, like the, going to like a, a medium, you know, or, you know, or seance kind of spirit. It was the spirit of man. And what they believed, they believed the Spirit was the way that you connected with God. It was our relational connection with one another. It was like when, when people come together and they say, we're soulmates, right? Then your spirits are connecting with one another. And that's what they believed, that our spirit of man was our connection to God. And we would call that probably our soul today. 
Our soul is the thing that connects to God. Our soul is the thing that connects to somebody else. The second thing of human nature that they said was the soul. So not to confuse you or anything. So spirit, which is like what we would say soul. Then the soul. And what they discovered, they, they define the soul as the soul was the inferior part of your mental makeup. You know, some of you sit next to someone like, yeah, all of them, all of their mental makeup is inferior. But no, it was what it was. They believed that the inferior part of our mental makeup was our passions and desires. They would define that like as our feelings and our emotions. They called that their soul. We would call that our mind, right? We would call that our feelings and emotions. And then the third part of the of a person's natural makeup or the, the, uh, of a person's human nature was their body, which was the frame which holds the spirit and the soul. And as these three parts of human nature are connected to one another, so the way we keep them healthy is also connected as well. See, it starts in the spirit that then transforms the soul which then motivates the body. See, I believe that working out is just as spiritual as praying. Some of you may not agree with that, but I I believe that. I believe that working out is just as spiritual as praying. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, just why. I believe that silence is just as spiritual as praying. Because it's changing our minds and our focus. See, these are the things that build the muscles of our nature. And so what I'm going to do this morning, if you look on your chairs, you have a sticky pad and you have a golf pencil. Don't get sticking the person with, the, with your pencil. These are pretty sharp. So... What I want you to do today, we're going to talk about three truths. I want you to write them down. And I want you to write these truths down, and we're all going to do it together. And I want you to take these stickies, and there's three places I want you to put them. I want you to put them on your fridge, one of them on your fridge. I want you to put one of them on either your computer or your TV. And some of you may have to write a couple of them. One for your computer, one for your TV. And then the last one, I want you to write it out and I want you to put it on your alarm clock if you still have alarm clocks. Most people probably don't. You probably have it on your phone. I'm probably going to stick it on the forehead of my son because he's my alarm clock. But anyway, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to learn three truths about how to keep our mind, our body, and our soul healthy. So the first one is this. I want you to write down... The fridge sticky note. So I'm going to write it with you. The fridge sticky note. If you don't know how to spell it, it is on the screen. Okay. The fridge sticky note. Maybe I missed it, but what is the basis of this get fit? What's the, the basis of this, this get fit one? What? Oh, physical. Uh, yeah, get fit. Uh, sorry, get fit our mind, body, and soul. Get fit our mind, body, and soul. Okay, so the fridge sticky. So underneath this, we're going to write this statement, and I want you to leave some room at the bottom to write something else in a minute. But the statement is this. My body is a temple. My body is a temple. Now, many of you, when you 
heard me say that or you read it on the screen, immediately you're thinking, what? It's like those guys, those muscle guys who go to the gym who think they're all that. And, you know, they're like, my body is a temple, man. You know, it's like they look themselves in the mirror and they're like cranking their muscles. And, and everyone's like, oh, please put some clothes on. You know, it's like those people are looking themselves in the mirror and it's like, it seems so vain, right? And people use this term totally out of context. They use this term, my body is a temple, as if they're looking in a mirror and they're worshipping their own bodies but the reality is is what those people say and lots of people use this term they're actually using a biblical verse so this morning I want us to take a look at this biblical verse so if you've got your bibles if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now to bring this into context we probably would have to read the whole of chapter 6 we don't have time for that you can go home read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 but I'm going to try and summarize it as best I can very quickly but we're going to read verses 19 and 20 and this is what it says this is a letter by the apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth verse 19 don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a higher price, so you must honor God with your body. So this is what Paul is saying. He says that your body is, the, is a temple, and this is what I want you to write underneath, of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. So like I said, Paul wrote this to a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city that was sexually charged. What I mean by sexually charged, everybody was giving themselves to one another. I mean, it was this place where this, all this stuff was going on, whether it was on the TV or on the computer, on the billboards. You know, it was, in, it was in the home, it was in the schools, it was in the workplaces. I mean, it was just sexually charged. Sexuality was a theme of the day. If we think that we're a sexually charged uh, 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 culture, if you think that that's well, what we've become, then we have nothing on Corinth. They were sexually charged incredibly. And this is what Paul said. He wrote this to the Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. And he said this to them. He said that your physical bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the place where the Spirit of God dwells. Now this was mind-blowing at the time. And this is why. Because back in those days, there was lots of temples. They were physical buildings made of brick and mortar. They were everywhere. And everybody who had a God that they worshipped built a temple to that God. And, 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 and what, what people would do, they would go to this physical building and then they would go to appease and meet with their God. So you, you look at ancient, uh, ancient history and you have all these different temples. You have the temple in Jerusalem, which uh, the Jews built to Jehovah. Then you have the, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, which was built to the goddess Diana. There was all these temples all around and people would go to these temples to appease their gods and to meet with their god and most of them were were, were false gods but they would go and they they would meet with these gods 
And Paul said this. He said, forget the physical buildings. Your body, this frame that holds your soul and spirit, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the place where God dwells in you. If you are a Jesus Christ follower this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and and, and you've got the Spirit of God in you, then you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your life is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, God isn't some distant God who's away. He is someone who dwells amongst us and within us. And so Paul is saying to these, he's saying that this building made up of bones and muscles and skin and ligaments and organs is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells and man or woman meets with God. For your body is the temple of God, and that means that your body is a holy place. It's a holy place. It's a place of sanctification. Remember, we said sanctuary uh, or sanctify is to be set apart, to be free. So that means that your body is a place that is set apart to be free. Free from sin, free from the worries of this world, free from all the things that may destroy us and corrupt us. And what you do with your body has a direct effect on the Holy Spirit. What you use for it and what you put into it either fuels the temple or destroys the temple. I'll say that again. What you put in your body and what you use your body for either fuels the temple or it destroys the temple. So we got a guy in our church, he normally comes first service, his name is Brian, he's one of my favorite people in the world, and this is why. He is the most disciplined man you will ever meet in your life. For those of you who know him, you'll probably say, yes, he's the most disciplined man I'll ever meet. When I met him about, uh, about three and a half years ago, had a conversation with him, and uh, I think I was eating a cookie at the time or something, and, uh, and I offered him one, and he was like, nah, it's okay. I'm like, why not, man? You know, have a cookie. And he's like, no. He said, he says, I, I really see my body as a temple. I'm like, oh yeah, he's one of those guys, like, Ugh, you know. But this is what he said to me. He says, he says many years ago, he says, I was struggling health-wise, and I started to read about food and how few food fuels your life. And what you put in has a direct impact on the rest of your life. So he started to say that. He started to see food as a fuel. And now, I mean, I love food. I'm, I'm a foodie. I love food. You know, I'm not going to his extreme. But it started making me understand, yeah, that's exactly what the temple is. He is fueling his temple. What goes in is about fueling the temple. See, you would never put water in the gas tank of a car, right? Because what's going to happen? You're going to be driving, then it's going to be like, and you're going to come to a stop. But yet we fuel our lives often with things that can destroy us. We think about pleasure over health. And when we think pleasure over health, over the long term, our lives cannot sustain it. So, next time you eat that cookie, next time you have that chocolate cake, or you have that pizza, or you eat those french fries, oh man, I'm getting hungry now just thinking about it. 
Or you feel the desire to do something with your body that maybe you know you shouldn't. Ask yourself this question, is this building the temple? Or is this destroying the temple? Is this fueling the temple? Or is this causing the temple to run on empty? So go stick this on your fridge. Or if you've got a cabinet that's got a bunch of cookies in or stuff, stick it on the cabinet as well. Remind yourself, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we'll be real quick. So number two, write this on there. The TV sticky note or the computer sticky note? And maybe some of you need to write two of them. One for the TV, one for the computer. The TV sticky note. And under that, I want you to write this truth. What you see, you think. What you see, you think. You know, I wish I could go back to my late teens and censor some of the things that I've seen, that I allowed myself to see. What I didn't realize at the time was what you see, you think. Often what you see starts making a portrait in the gallery of your mind. I've realized all these years later that there were some things I saw that were tattooed on my brain and on my mind that I would never be able to get away from. Because what you see is what you think. What you see determines how you think. I've discovered this in my life, and this may not be you. You know, you may be okay in this area, but this is what I've discovered, that The amount of TV I actually watch, and I like TV, and I don't think there's anything wrong with TV. There's just some things on TV that maybe we shouldn't be watching. But the amount of TV that I watch has a direct effect on how good a husband I am, how good a father I am, and how well I can be as a pastor. Because I've realized that often what goes in is how we think. And so I've discovered that just sitting in silence, thinking about God, writing down my blessings, journaling my prayers, it does more for my mind, my body, and my soul than anything else could ever do. It does my mind, body, and soul a world of good. I've realized that when I talk to others about Jesus, it like invigorates me. It gives me energy that that I thought I didn't even have. But yet, when I have conversations with people that are just negative or maybe a gossip related, I've realized what it does to me. It leaves me drained and dark. What are you allowing your mind and your body to see? The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Rome this time. And in, Rome, in Romans chapter two, 12 and verses 1 to 2, he said this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Remember again, he's saying, present your bodies to God in an acceptable way, a holy way. Then he said this, this is truly the way to worship him. That's why I think taking care of your body is an act of worship unto God. Then verse 2, he says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
when you allow God to speak to you, it changes your mind. And when your mind is changed by God, you start to understand the will and the purpose of God for your life. And when you understand the will and purpose of God for your life, your life becomes so much more satisfying and purposeful. You get so much more energy in this life. Why? Because now you have purpose in this life. And that's why I've discovered that things like prayer, contemplation, journaling, writing down my blessings, reading and studying the Bible are so important. Because they are transforming my mind to think like God thinks. Instead of allowing other things to shape me. For what you see is what you think. The last sticky. And we'll be real quick on this one. It's the alarm clock sticky. So you can write the alarm clock sticky. If you use your phone, you can use the phone sticky. If you use your son to wake you up in the morning, you can put the baby sticky. And go stick it on his forehead instead. But the alarm clock sticky. And this is what I want you to write under it. Rest is godly. Rest is godly. I believe that sleep is just as spiritual as being on your knees and spending an hour in prayer. When I talked about just the prayer and the reading and the contemplating and journaling and thinking in silence of the things of God, those are things that in this Christian world we call spiritual disciplines. And many people say, Alex, I just find spiritual disciplines too hard. I just can't do them. I can't be disciplined enough to do them. Well, i got news for you today. There is one spiritual discipline that every one of you does every single night, and that is when you put yourself in bed, you lay your head on the pillow, and you go to sleep, I believe that is a spiritual discipline that God designed for your life. And this is why. So if you turn to Psalm 127, verse 2. Psalm 127, verse 2. This is what it says. It is useless for you to work so hard. How many are saying, yay, amen. But then he prefaces it. It says, from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Then he makes this statement, for God gives rest to his loved ones. God gives rest to his loved ones. God created rest. In fact, God created sleep so much so that God decided to help you out. One third of this day, God decides to switch the lights out to help you sleep at night. See, God created rest. In fact, if you look, uh, when God created the world on the seventh day, God rested. He, what they call Sabbath, meant to rest your mind, your body, and soul. God created rest. See, rest is spiritual. There's a book that was written by Dr. Sian Yang Tan. Did I say it good? That sounds pretty good, right? He wrote a book called Rest, you know? I mean, and it's all about rest. And in, in this book, he said this. We need rest more today than ever before in history. 
He says that in the 1850s, the average American slept, get this, 9.5 hours a night. It's like he's a teenager or something. It says by the 1950s, that number had dropped to eight hours a night. Today, the average American, and this includes those lazy teenagers, sleeps under seven hours a night. He said the National Sleep Foundation has said that 49% of Americans have sleep problems. And this is why, because they are not getting eight hours of sleep a night. And it doesn't matter if you just get a little one night and you sleep more than the other. It has to be consistent through. And people cannot sleep because they're not sleeping enough. And he said the consequences over a long period of time are astounding to your health. Now, I know that in our society and culture, we are told that the successful people get up early. The successful people get up at 3.30 and 4 and 4.30 in the morning. And I'll tell you this, they may do, but they probably went to bed about 7 o'clock at night. Why? Because successful people are the people who rest their bodies. I hear this from some Christians. They're like, we shouldn't rest. The devil doesn't rest. The devil doesn't sleep. And I'll say this to them. Well, if you want to be like the devil, do that. But God said to rest. It's a commandment of God to rest. And I'm going to tell you something, and you may not agree with it, but it's the truth. Getting eight hours of sleep a night is not being lazy. It's being smart. And some of you, your sleep habits are all over the place. And I understand some of you with young kids because, boy, for the last year, eight hours would be great. I would love eight hours. But what I've understood is this, is that you need to rest your bodies. Because when you rest your bodies, your mind and soul and spirit become alive. See, the main reason that most of us have trouble sleeping is because we're so stimulated. We're stimulated by our diet. We're stimulated by, uh, by all the electronics. How many of you at night, you know, before you go to bed, oh, I've got to check Facebook, I've got to check the phone, I've got to watch Netflix. I mean, I'm there. But the reality is they're stimulating. We're stimulated by the worries of this life. But yet, if we just sat there in silence and listened to God a little bit then those worries would fade away. See, rest is godly. And as we conclude this series, I'm going to ask you, will you be like my grandfather? Took care of his soul, but didn't take care of his body. And his life was cut short midstream. When there was so much ahead of him, or will you choose to get fit and see what God has for your life and finish what God has started. See, this is all about freedom. Being sanctified, meaning being set apart to be free. It's all about freedom. It's about going, flying higher, going deeper. It's about pushing further, all to see what God has for your life. As we started this series five weeks ago, we started with a verse And it was found in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. And it said this. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? 
don't know about you, but I know in my life, I want to race against horses. I want to go further. I want to go deeper. I, I, I want to go higher with all the things that God has for me. And I've realized this. If we want to do that, if we want to run with horses, then we have to get ourselves financially, prayerfully, relationally, and physically fit. We need to condition ourselves to stay the course and win the race. Will you hashtag get mind, body, and soul fit? Let's bow our heads in prayer.